0: Welcome to another Pro Video Coalition podcast, PVC News podcast. This is uh, so this is a bit of a different one. Uh, it's just myself and Mr. Michael comments out on the West Coast. How are you, Mr. Michael? I'm good, Scott. Thanks for having me on. So I asked Michael, it's Sunday uh, evening here in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and I asked Michael just to sit down and have a quick chat about remote editing because, as we all know, we are now in a global pandemic and there's been a, a state of emergency declared in the States. And, you know, Armageddon is here, we're all going to die, you know, blah, 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 blah. But with all this talk, there's been so much information, possibly misinformation and questions been asking about remote editing for what has just been, I think the last few days is really ramped up. And I've had questions from some of my clients and I've seen questions and I've had emails and I don't know enough. So uh Michael's already been quite busy over the last few days and he's taken time to sit down and chat with us for a few minutes to try
1: to educate us all. Is it safe to say you've been busy over the last few days? Yeah, that would be the conservative way of saying it. Yeah. Uh, uh, And for those who don't know, um, about a year and a half ago, I started working for a a cloud-based editing company called Bebop Technology that allows you to use uh, a lot of Windows apps in the cloud with virtual storage, virtual machines, so you can edit. And, you know, Bebop was never envisioned or built to be used uh, specifically in this kind of scenario. It was meant to just decentralize post-production, but it ends up being a fantastic solution when you have to have people in different areas. So uh, we've had a massive uptick, and uh, I'm popping lozenges like Tic Tacs (laughs) just to keep my voice uh, because of demos and calls and whatnot. Um, So on one hand, while it's a a validation of the, the technology that I believe in, Um, it is quite disappointing that it comes as a direct result of something like
0: this. It's it's, it's tricky for everybody and everybody's trying to make their, make their way around and figure out what's, you know, kind of what's next and tons of productions have stopped. So that's really hurting the production people, the crew people. Uh, Post-production is slowing down for sure. But I think, I mean, we'll see, you know, when this comes out Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday, I'm not sure when we'll see what's going on at that point and how, Posts may have slowed, but I I think there's a lot of people kind of working on their own that are still working or they're in the midst of shows and stuff that um, they're going to keep working. I want to phrase this chat sort of in in multiple levels because I'll start and ask you a quick question about uh, Bebop and what Bebop's doing. Technically, they are, I would consider them the top high end of what we can, I'm going to use remote editing with air quotes around it. The word remote editing that encompasses kind of everything. Bebop is at the tip top, in a sense, of, of, of what of doing remote editing. Is that a true statement?
1: I would uh, certainly agree with that, and, and I'll uh, explain why. But I think first and foremost, um, uh, as anyone who's uh, uh, writing in my blogs or videos or, or, or anything I've done with you, Scott, is that um, technical education is something that is near and dear to my heart, yes. and it's, it's one of the first priorities in my life, believe it or not. And you explain it very so, well. Well, thank you what I want to make sure is that even though the, the the you'll probably have bebop technology listed in the notes and and you've said bebop a few times that today I'm going to share I'm going to give a brain dump of different ways you can edit remotely in the cloud or otherwise. Bebop included, but not just with bebop. I, I feel this is the wrong time uh, in the industry and in the world for us for me to be you know trying to see how we can market something <laughs> yeah. when uh, you know I I was a creative for a long time, and a majority of my friends and family are in the industry, and I want that to succeed. I want people to be healthy and gainfully employed, uh, and in that order. So today, yeah, I'll talk about Bebop, but I'll be talking about a ton more that has nothing to do with Bebop. So I totally. just want to make sure that's out there.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate that because we don't we don't we don't try to do advertisements in this you know in in this sense. We're but we often will talk about technologies and products that are good for. Our our audience and in my world, post production people. All right, so let's start at the bottom. I had this question posed to me just uh, yesterday. If you are working on an edit platform, edit station, Final Cut, Avid, Premiere, whatever, and you have a super fast RAID attached to your system, uh, Pegasus, uh, G Tech, you know, whatever it might be, there is no way that someone can. Quickly, easily, reliably, remote into that desktop system with a Thunderbolt attached storage and edit remotely.
1: It, it, or is there? I don't think that there is. And I told him the answer to that is no. the The thing we have to look at here is is latency. Then the, that is the the in in layman's terms, how long it takes for you to have a key press, uh, and how long it takes for that key press to be reflected. Uh, So if you try to edit with a Premiere or Final Cut or Avid or Windows Movie Maker uh, on your home system and you're trying to reach storage that's sitting miles away, uh, you know, at another facility, um, you're not going to have that responsiveness to have that NLE or VFX app grab that media. First of all, the NLE has to understand that the media is not local. Uh, to to pull that media and then interact with the NLE. It's not gonna fly. It's not You're not gonna have a happy experience. The flip side to that is if the Pegasus or whoever uh, raid is attached to a machine at a facility somewhere, yes, you can certainly remote in to that machine. Uh, and because you're remoting in, your local system is just a window. It's just right. a window to that system in that other building and you can use it all day long. And, and- the problem you run into is that uh, a lot of the protocols, meaning a lot of the software uh, yeah. uh, mechanisms that are used to reach into that system um, are not meant for video. Right. right? So I,
0: I think the, you know, the question from what I, I was asked about was the thought that I could maybe be on Premiere at home or Final Cut at home. And there was some mechanism that could look through the Internet to that machine and then just pull the media off. And that. That's, that does not exist. But what does exist is uh wings Well, there means. was.
1: There oh. Actually, there was. Oh, really? Yeah, if you remember the uh, Adobe Anywhere system that was out several years ago, that was a bunch of servers sitting at your facility, uh, running Premiere, talking to your Pegasus RAID or talking to your shared storage, and then you'd have a local copy of Premiere that would intelligently understand the media that's sitting remote and that server would then stream it to you in a in a uh, in a proxy way, and it worked really well. It was just really expensive. And Avid, uh, excuse me, Adobe uh, killed the product. Avid also has something just like that too. That's what uh, the uh, um, Avid Media Composer uh, Cloud Remote uh, was built just for that. By and it would talk mm-hmm. to Avid Interplay or, or now Media Central that would sit at your facility and then stream those proxies to your software uh locally but both are enterprise solutions right, uh, right. both are $100,000 plus and only one of them is around
0: at Got, this point gotcha so if you're thinking about sort of a small production company that just needs a couple of editors to to hit what's on that uh that Pegasus or tech raid that you know there there is not that wonderful software that in the background can, can do that what what there is is uh, log me in, TeamViewer, Google Remote Desktop, Jump Desktop, and any number of things where you can, on your computer in a web browser or in a, an application on your computer, you can remote in and basically run the other computer from far away. Those exist. Those are cheap. They work pretty well, but you can't just sit there, launch an NLE and start to edit with those things like you could on your own machine with the
1: with the media right next to you is that a fair is that a fair true statement but- from uh, shall we say an industrial point of view, from a from a can I click a button? Can I have the software react? Yes, you can do that all day long. I do it quite often. Uh, I have a paid version of TeamViewer just for that. And whether it's but whether it's TeamViewer or VNC or Apple Remote Desktop or Microsoft uh, Microsoft Remote Desktop or any one of the other uh, web-based screen sharing applications, uh, they are not appropriate for the world of whoop-ass that editors will put on their machines. <laughs> I like editors, that. Editors need uh, dozens of frames a second, right? We mm-hmm. need 24, or 30, 60. We need... Good audio. Least, yeah, we need, we need uh, uh, in-sync audio, and audio that's not compressed. We need audio to be sunk to video. We need decent color fidelity, right? 8-bit or yep. better. We need to move uh, our and,
0: mouse, and it move exactly as fast
1: as we move our... <laughs> exactly as fast as we move our mouse. We need to move it in a way that won't drive editors nuts because of the lag. Yeah. And a lot of those protocols are not meant for that kind of user. I know that being a creative uh, is a fantastic gig, and I did it for a long time, but we're a niche industry. And because of that, there are so many other verticals out there that can benefit from screen sharing technologies where... You know, 20 frames a second and 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 out of sync audio is fine. Yeah. When we look at business applications, right, like Citrix uh, or plat- uh, virtualized platforms like Citrix and whatnot, that's fine. You're using databases. You're using, uh, you know, uh, office products. You don't need to have the the kind of power that uh, creatives need. Uh, and so, uh, because there are not a lot of those protocols remoting in and doing these things is very difficult. On top of that, yeah. we've got the Mac OS. So we've got the niche industry of media and entertainment, followed by the uh, niche uh, uh, user base of Mac users. So because of that, no one has developed a great protocol that will allow this high frame rate, high color space or color gamut, I should say, in uh, sync audio, etc. There hasn't been a uh, rock solid or almost rock solid, foolproof solution for Mac OS and for creatives. And because of that, most folks are going to try the free or shareware type apps and either, you know, bite their tongue uh, or get mm. drunk. But. Uh, <laughs> But it just it doesn't deliver what you need when you're sitting in front of a cut for hours on end.
0: Totally. And, and, I'll, and I'll sort of go back to that question because uh, I've used TeamViewer log me in. I currently have Jump Desktop installed on three systems around, around Nashville. And I all the time will leave something running on another machine, come home or, 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 uh, you know, or be at one office, and, and I'll jump desktop into the other office, remote in. And I'll do outputs. I'll do uploads. I'll make notes. I've even done, you know, I'll be at home and I'll get a note about, oh my gosh, that spelling was incorrect. And I'll remote in and change, you know, some text, or I'll cut a section out. Very minute, small editorial things I have done, and you can do over some of these these remote solutions like that, where you're remoting into another machine, but you know, very often you hit the play button and you may get a few seconds of, of good frame rate and you may get a few seconds of good audio, but it just totally breaks down quickly. So I would say those solutions are more, are more, um, sort of housekeeping tasks as far as the editing world that, that can be achieved and achieved pretty well. I mean, I've done stuff from my phone on a, on a, on a machine, just, you know, quick little uploads and things like that. So, but as far as full on editorial, that's a, a that, that's a no go. All right, so let's let's go to another possible solution for remote editing. This is one I've incorporated many times, which is you've got your main system, you've got your server, you've got your RAID, whatever you want to call it, and you take a particular job, you copy all the media onto a portable drive, uh, and you ship that to another editor across town via courier or via via FedEx, whatever. And uh, in a perfect world, you your other editor has a has a media solution, uh, a media system, a RAID, a hard drive, whatever that has the exact same uh, file name, so file paths stay the same. They can open up, and then you either share, uh, you email bins back with Avid, you have can put a project onto Dropbox, and um, and not editing off the same project, but you can use a Dropbox type solution to send uh, a project file back and forth, or a bin back and forth, or a library back and forth. And uh, as long as you keep a good communication, that is a way you can have multiple editors working on the same thing. But I don't consider that
1: true remote editing, even though it works. That's not really remote editing, is it? I, I would consider it remote editing. What I wouldn't call it is real time collaboration uh, because exactly. everyone is dealing with their own pools of media. And it, let's make a lot of assumptions here. Let's make the assumption that security is not an issue and you know making a statement like that normally gets me drummed out of boardrooms but um you know security is of the utmost performance oh, yes. or our, our utmost concept and that's why we have infosec and security guidelines and whatnot so if we go on the assumption that by some miracle uh you're able to send out content on an unencrypted hard drive mm-hmm. which normally isn't done normally it's on a password protected drive uh, a lot of reality shows, for example, when they're shooting on location, um, you know, when they don't want results of a uh, uh, of a voting or something to be revealed, they'll stick that on a drive. That drive has a uh, passcode on it, a hardware passcode, you know, sometimes even a keypad on the drive. And that person is flying back um, with that content, um, you know, almost, hand ca- almost mm-hmm. handcuffed to a, a briefcase. So let's just go on the assumption Security isn't an issue. It is. But. Let's assume it's well, not. All right,
0: let me pause for one sure. second there, um, because I think when we talk about re- remote editing, there are there's a wide facet of people who want to remote edit right now. You have your big blockbuster Hollywood features who are probably looking at this. You've got lots of television networks and television programming, which I think you're getting lots of calls about calls from that does need this security, and all the way down to uh, you know a, a, um, you know small corporate. Companies that that security really isn't that big of an issue, and they don't think twice about security because you know no one's trying to steal the uh, you know the corporate CEO's boring presentation. But yet they also want to remote edit now because you know we're all in the same situation with this with this with this uh, with this pandemic. So there are places where security isn't as big of an issue, but they they in a sense have some of the same problems because remote editing isn't just a super quick, cheap, easy solution
1: yet. No, you're, you're right. And uh, the only reason I throw that out there is for folks who may not think, oh, oh, it, nothing will happen to me. I'll, I'll be fine. It's just something to, to throw out there. Mm, yeah. Um, so if security is off the table uh not an issue and you're getting a copy of media then it becomes a exercise in in being being a media manager um you know are your file paths and folder structure and file naming convention going to be the same across all the distributed users and also you know uh you're going to be sending project files back and forth so you're probably not sending render files back and forth Ah, uh, what if there's new media that you're importing? Well, how's that media being sent? Mm-hmm. So it becomes a a organizational nightmare yes, if you're not yes. careful. But you know, shuttling around bin um, bins or or project files or using uh, things like Post Lab for Final Cut Ten libraries, mm-hmm. that certainly can be done. Uh, but it does require uh, a hell of a lot of media management uh, and some patience and the the speed at which you've been accustomed to editing. Um, is going to slow down because there's going to be things that are going to be wrong or incomplete or offline. Yeah. Um, and, and also, if I can't stress this enough, you got to make backups. I, I mean, backups are obviously uh, important anyway, but when you're getting one copy of the media and if you forget to move your cache location or you hit the wrong delete key and that media goes poof, getting that media media back may be a lot more difficult. So it may fall on the creative to actually say, look, I'm going to CYA, I'm going to cover myself, and I'm going to create a backup here just in case.
0: Yeah, that's a a good point. I think if you're doing the remote solution where you've got multiple editors with multiple drives, um, I mentioned communication as being the key. Uh, You know, I think you can't, you have to be careful if you're using Dropbox, for example, to share project files that you don't have everybody You may have everybody with the same folder synced on their system locally, but if one person opens up that Premiere project file, someone else can't open up that Premiere project. I mean, you probably can. I don't know what would happen. That would not probably be good for the bits and bytes inside that file. So communication... Would be, uh, would be the key. Uh, you mentioned something like uh, like you know, you've got Dropbox, Google Drive, you've got many different cloud ways in which you can share files back and forth. You know, you, you everybody has the same media, but suddenly you get new graphics. You can share that through a Dropbox. You get uh, new voiceovers come in, share that through a Dropbox. You may not be able to share a terabyte of new video media that comes in, but you know, small bits of video, you can share that by a Dropbox or WeTransfer or whatever. You mentioned the product PostLab. Uh, it, it is an interesting solution in that it, it is designed to help make that collaboration process easier, and it's just doing a lot of work with the Final Cut Library. Or coming soon, uh, I'm testing the beta for them for their Premiere integration.
1: And, um, oh, can we talk about that? Uh, we is we that, can't. Is, I, I think so. Well, no, no I, I thought I thought it was a secret. So they, they, I, oh, know I don't talking. know. Maybe. <laughs>
0: no, they mentioned it on Twitter one day that they were looking uh, asking about Premiere um, Premiere beta testers. I think.
1: Oh, yeah. I got a link last week and I was about to start testing and then this happened. So it's... we didn't,
0: but you know, I, I think it, it is a good solution for things like that. I um, it's not all your media living in the cloud and, and qu- easily getting it down. You still have to have, you know, do your media management, but as far as being able to um, keep editors kind of working and understanding what's going on in a collaborative project, it's, it's really nice. I mean, it's, you know, I think of it almost like, um, you know the the bin locking world of 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 Avid if you're working in an Avid project in something like PostLab you you have sort of uh project or library locking because if if we're both working on a on a shared collaborative project with PostLab you have a uh project file or final cut library and I have my own and we work in them independently but they end up um Uploading back to the post lab server where the versions are tracked and then I can grab yours, you can grab mine, or perhaps we have another project or library that we can use to transfer stuff back and forth. So it's, you know, there still is management on the side of of the editor or the, you know, facility or the post supervisor, but it's, it's a lot better than just throwing stuff into a Dropbox, which can be, which can be uh, chaos sometimes. Um, I completely go ahead no no I, I, I was gonna to move to the next our next little uh, remote topic
1: sure there were there were a few other points I wanted to bring up yeah, is please. that when you're working at a facility traditionally things are homogenized right your versions of <clears throat> your versions of OS your versions of of plugins your versions of uh, applications and when you say and when you now say hey creatives go home and use your own machines now we're dealing with OS differences. Now we're dealing with plugin differences where those licenses coming from. Oh, wait, it's premiere. so things aren't back revable without you know a workaround mm-hmm. to to change the code on it of uh, its final cut. you know it's it's uh, backwards compatible, but I don't think forward's compatible. Um avid's about the only one that really you know is able to keep that going. but you the whole concept of a centralized i t department that's handling this and getting things uh, running and purring smoothly. When you start going remote and you're using your own stuff, that becomes an issue. Totally now, does. I'm a, I'm aware of, uh, and I probably shouldn't call them out, but I'm aware of uh, several facilities here in LA that have said, look, we, you, you editors, you're our family. We're going to let you take our gear home. Just plug it, unplug it from the wall, take it home and use it. Wow. And that that's a fantastic way of looking at it. That shows incredible trust, uh, but that's one way of doing it. You know, uh, creatives, you may not have your uh, system at home because you're employed by us, right? Mm-hmm. You're no longer a freelancer, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I think that's one approach as well.
0: Okay, so let's that's uh, that was that was our uh, shipping drives remote workflow. Here's one I've heard talked about and asked about. Why can't I or whomever? Put media into uh, Dropbox, into Google Drive, into uh, um, an Amazon Web Services bucket, and then uh, you sync the drive to your your system, and there you go. I I guess technically you could, because if you're syncing the media from a Dropbox or wherever to a local system, you are putting a physical copy of that media locally onto another system, but if you're talking you know, 100 gigabytes, 200 gigabytes, a terabyte of media, suddenly you've got many bottlenecks there, upload to that Dropbox being one, download back to another system to sync being another. That seems a little bit crazy for big projects.
1: I know you're completely right, and how that's normally accomplished is there. there's an initial dump where you're taking that hard drive to everyone's uh, house or they're getting a copy, you're then putting it on each system and then you're syncing it between the two systems and Dropbox or whatever your syncing software is recognizes the files are the same and you have a starting point. Um, But you can't edit. Let me phrase this very carefully. Not many NAs natively understand reading media that's located in a cloud storage repository somewhere, uh, which means uh, you couldn't even navigate to it and load it in the system. Now, there's plenty of of, uh, plugins out there that will fake uh, mounting a cloud-based drive as a local network drive, and fine, you're going to get beach balls all day long. Uh, because unless that's done very carefully, um, NLEs can't handle the latency mm-hmm. uh, of media being that far away and being uh, uh, that slow. But and you're saying if, you,
0: if, if you did that, though, in a sense, you would be seen on your desktop. You, it would almost be seen that as just another piece of storage.
1: Right. And you you can do that. In fact, uh, well, I don't want to call it any names, but there are some companies that are actively doing that to make your cloud storage, your blob, your bucket, your glacier, whatever, make it look like local storage. And you can just drag stuff to it and it makes things really easy. But the additional latency uh, and uh, by latency, I'm talking, you know, uh, um, uh, hundreds of milliseconds. So, Mm. you know, a blink of an eye, essentially. Um, it's still the NLE, you will not get the performance you want. You will hit pause or, or you know, spacebar, or J or K or L, and it will take a moment to respond yeah. and you'll get timeout errors. Um, and frustrated. You know, you'll get frustrated. A, oh, completely. The, and for sake of, uh, education, most of the storage you find in the cloud is what they call object storage. Object storage is a fantastic architecture on top of storage that is uber resilient Uh, You can lose uh, nodes and it still runs. It goes across uh, multiple types of storage, so spinning disk and and SSD and and LTO. Um, But because of that resiliency, you don't get throughput. You don't get sustained throughput and you don't get high IOPS. You don't get the responsiveness. So uh, and when you're working with stuff in the cloud, traditionally, it's push pull right? You Mm -hmm. uh, are watching Netflix and you decide, hey, I want to watch a a movie on Netflix. It buffers and it sends it to you. You're okay with waiting for that half second for it to buffer, right? Right. You're okay with, hey, I need to download something from Dropbox. Let me download it and then use it. That's what you call push-pull. If you try and access it in the cloud in real time, that's where, you know, 95% of the storage in the cloud will not be applicable for video editing locally. Gotcha. All right. Now, let me ask you this then. Let's take this
0: a step further for this uh, object storage type thing where you where you can mount a, uh, a, a, a media in the cloud locally on your thing. We're shooting mm-hmm. mostly in 4K media these days. Yeah, great. We'll transcode to 1080p or 1080 uh, proxies, you know, say ProRes proxy, much smaller, much lower bandwidth. We'll do that instead. All right. Still, a lot of a lot of you need a lot of bandwidth to make that happen. Could you transcode and God forbid we ever go back to this? But look, we're in a pandemic. Could you transcode to, um, you know, 360 uh, postage stamp size and get that small enough where
1: the latency would actually be not an issue? Well, in that case, it's not latency. Uh, well, I mean, the latency is obviously a factor, but you're dealing with throughput because you're actively pulling that huge stream of media. And I say huge because compared to a web page, right, it's it's a, a lot, uh, a lot fatter. You're still pulling that full data rate of that proxy through your Internet connection in real time.
0: But could you at some point get so the data sell- rate small enough by scaling the frame size down, scaling the quality down in your encode that it would be uh, bearable. Do you think
1: that that's a, you know, bearable, if I was typing it out, I'd put that in italics. Uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, there, there are, uh, I have seen folks do a single stream of Uber low res proxy, you know, 14, 15 to one type quality, basically H.264 is low res. Uh, I've seen it accomplished, but it's unpredictable enough that we're not there yet.
0: Well, I, and and I and I think that's um I'm sure someone is going to try that here in the next next couple of weeks because it's you know it, it's not it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out hey if if that's too big to stream let's just keep making it smaller and smaller till it till it streams.
1: Um All right, so we the, can't. The flip side we get to that is uh where the considerations are: a, we still have quality or uh, security issues, but if you want something that looks decent and has a smaller bitrate, okay, we have to use a newer encoder. Now we're looking at H.265. We're looking at other codecs and your local machine may not be able to handle that. Yeah. Uh, we also get into, once you start throwing effects on there, okay, now the effect has to be processed locally, which means pulling the media, processing Ooh, it, and then displaying it to you. Uh, also, we get into latency issues. Uh, additional, let's take a look at audio, for example, right? When you're dealing with video, you have, 24, 30, uh, 50, 60 frames a second, right? Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with audio, if we deal with 48 kilohertz, you have 48,000 samples a second. So if you're trying to edit audio at a subframe level, how are you getting into that sample and being able to see it on the timeline at the exact moment you hit play? Yeah. They're not in sync. What you're hearing and seeing are completely different. So audio is just the worst offender. Um, so, so while it's barely tolerable for a handful of video workflows, um, audio, it's, it's a no go. There goes your uh, frustration level is
0: going up greatly. All right. So let's see, yes. we, we've, uh, you're not gonna, you're not gonna team viewer in and edit You're you can ship a drive around, but there's issues with that. You got to really media manage things quite properly. Um, we're not, there going is
1: something else that we haven't brought up. Uh, many uh, facilities will have VPNs, right? They'll have firewalls and the VPNs will allow people to remote in and access systems. The problem you run into with VPNs is uh, VPNs are very firewall specific. You need to have enough horsepower on your, on your VPN, uh, excuse me, on your firewall uh, to handle incoming connections, authenticate, Plus you need a lot of outbound or upload speed from your facility to get those requests out to the end users. So facilities who have routinely never needed this kind of outside access are simply are not set up for it. Uh, that means the, the VPN, you may, you may have a firewall and you haven't paid for the VPN. A lot of firewalls at your facility will say, Hey, we offer it, but you got to pay for it. It becomes almost like a subscription per year. So you have to take an account of for that. Also, uh, if you have a facility with gear, uh, most likely you have some contracts with uh, uh, outside vendors or, or outside partners, whether it be studios or whatnot, and, and often you have to sign contracts. Often mm. those contracts say you you can't edit off-prem or you can't edit in the cloud. Mm. Uh, and these contracts are something that were signed years ago and people just never bothered to re- renew it. So by and large, a lot of these contracts say, hey, we would love to edit remotely, but our contract with XYZ partner forbids it. So, while you can certainly VPN in, if you don't have the infrastructure for it, uh you're in for a bad time and and you know, if your storage is most likely I would hope on a closed network in your facility to your machines. So by all, by putting in a VPN system, that then is exposing it to the outside world. Granted, you have a VPN but it still takes one more layer of security away by allowing that. Gotcha,
0: gotcha. Um, and and that is a, uh, a you know TeamViewer and LogMeIn and Jump Desktop. Those are in a sense those that's not considered a VPN, is it? No, that's not.
1: No, no okay. that 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 uses I believe basic HTTP uh, uh, protocols. Okay. Uh, it may be secure, but it's definitely not uh, VPN quality. There is a great technology by HP called RGS. Um, HP, as you know, makes hardware. And and for a long time, uh, several years, they've shipped uh, uh, firmware and software that would run resident on the HP machine that would allow for remote people to connect to that machine and utilize its resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was demoed in a lot of, uh, uh, if you went to NAB, you know, if you uh, went to the REN, there were always demos. HP always had a suite there. And I know recently, HP has kind of loosened the reins on that and made that software only. So you can have a host machine, uh, which is PC only, unfortunately, run the HP RGS software, and then you can have a remote machine access it, uh, and it it gives you a better experience than TeamViewer. The things I've seen are that while that gives you remote access, obviously uploading and downloading, that's not possible. And the times I've seen RGS, it's usually one of the first things tried. It's like folks will do team viewer and see that that's garbage. And then they'll try uh, uh, RGS and that'll work for a little bit. And but it won't be enough. It hmm. gets you like 85, 90% of the way there. And then there's the there's too many features missing, and I'm not getting uh, gotcha. a constant frame rate. Gotcha. And so people then move on.
0: So that would bring us, uh, I guess, to the Bebop level uh of of remote editing, which is the the high end, It's good is as designed for it as good as it gets. Uh,
1: right? I I would say it's it definitely is is catering to the uh, remote creative crowd, uh, and it's much more meant for uh, facilities who have distributed workforces. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point in time, I can't see a freelancer, uh, a solo freelancer, subscribing to Bebop and then going to all their clients and saying, hey, let's start using Bebop, because there's an aversion to having everything in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the... The what we call CSPs or cloud service providers, the the Amazons, the Googles, the Microsofts, uh, their pricing is not advantageous to video folks. They're they uh for uh, you know processing uh, databases and for just storing of media. Uh, so the pricing can be many hundreds of dollars a month for someone just to use uh, storage and compute power in the cloud. So well, let's, um, let's... while freelancers,
0: go ahead. Well, let's pause there for a second because I think this is something sure. a lot of people don't understand, and I, and I didn't understand exactly until I was reading a, a, a thing you posted on Reddit about this, is um, if you uh, were in the Bebop world and you said, you know what, money's no object, I want to use Bebop or or a similar service like that to remote edit, it's not just paying for the Bebop service, you also have to pay for the cloud storage, the Amazon, the Azure, wh- wherever the media is stored in the cloud. It's it's a separate cost because it is it's sort of a separate thing that that charges separately from the Bebop service or the you know mycloudediting.com dot
1: com service, right, right? Right, you're completely right. It, you know, for years we've been accustomed to the all you can eat methodologies. Right, you buy a sure. machine and you use it twenty four seven if you want. The cloud isn't like that. The cloud says, if you use it, we're gonna, you got to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means your cost, your spend on per monthly, per weekly, or even per daily basis can vary. Uh, if you have to pull an all-nighter, okay, you're paying several dollars an hour to use that gear. And that wasn't something you had to run into uh, on other projects, right? When you bid out a project, it's, I'll finish it by this date, not how many hours am I actually going to spend on it, right? Because mm-hmm. you normally... Uh, make up that number anyway, because you're always spending more than you're actually billing for. Um, But when we get down to billing for the cloud, uh, and and I'll give you some metrics, which is great. Um, If you're looking to use a powerful machine, let's say a 16 core machine, maybe with two and a half gigahertz, uh, with a hundred plus gigs of RAM, with a dedicated 16 gig GPU. And let's say you use that for 40 hours a week uh, for, for a month. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to spend seven to eight hundred dollars just in uh, workstation costs now um, that number is a little inflated because I'm giving you list price, and because traditionally you have other services running in the background uh, for security or Active Directory or uh, syncing. So um, workstations usually run between a buck fifty and two fifty an hour. Mm-hmm. So if you were to take that number and then multiply it out, you'd see the price discrepancy, and and that's where other infrastructures uh, come into place with that Bebop offers. But we find that just trying to break this out into small chunks. Confuses people. So uh, $700 to $800 is usually what you're going to pay the CSP uh, to use Bebop um, uh, and give you that workstation. We then have storage and storage in the cloud is highway robbery. Hmm. When you look at uh, Wasabi or Backblaze, who I absolutely love, they offer storage that is, I think, like 25% la- or uh, uh, 25, or a quarter of the cost of what you'd find it on Amazon or Google or, or Azure. But that's because though uh, Wasabi and Backblaze aren't offering you compute and GPU and all the other things that these big data centers offer. So because of that, these big CSPs are, are charging more. Uh, I talked earlier about object storage, which is the kind of slower slower or slowish storage for push-pull. The storage that you're accustomed to at your facility or sitting next to you right now, your RAID, your SAN, your NAS, is traditionally block storage. Mm-hmm. And that's faster storage, sustained throughput, low latency, and that's what you need as a video and VFX person. Block storage in the cloud through all the, the three major CSPs um, is approximately, and don't quote me on this because pricing changes, but between 250 and $300 a terabyte per month. Okay. So quite often we'll talk to someone who says, look, I have a 32-terabyte uh, uh, Nexus, or I have a 100-terabyte Facilis. I'm not going to pay for that in the cloud. Well, you're damn right. No one wants to pay $300 per terabyte per month. So we use an older methodology uh, called tiered storage. That's where, in the cloud, you would park all of your content in cheaper object storage, whether it be Wasabi or Backblaze or Glacier or a blob, and then you move the content you need at on that day or week to faster block storage, edit it, and then either delete it or push it back. So it becomes an a, a exercise in, in media orchestration to make sure you're keeping your storage costs down but still have access to the content you need.
0: Hmm. So there is multiple levels to even the 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 highest end cost is no object uh, on demand um, remote editing customer like there's it's it is not it's not simple and know be bebop no. is probably trying to make it simple but even just the setting up the cost structure is not simple.
1: Well, here's another way of of looking at it, and and this will apply to a lot of you who. Uh, work on productions, film or television, where you rent gear, right? You'll go to a rental house in town and say, look, I need three edit stations. I need 20 terabytes of shared storage, and I need the desks and monitors, and I need a tech to come in and set it up, and then I need support. And how much is all that going to cost? If you average all that out, it's going to be several thousand dollars per editor per month. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just how it works. Uh, the storage is usually a thousand dollars a month, or a week, and I know some people are going to say it's more or less. It depends on where you are. But about $1,000 uh, a week, each workstation is a couple hundred dollars. You start throwing in speakers and, and a mixer and, and, uh, and all that, uh, and a desk, and, and all, that, all that comes out to a couple thousand dollars per user per month. Bebop at its base level, and again, this is ballpark depending on what you're trying to do, if you were to take a Bebop subscription, which is a couple hundred dollars a month uh, per user... Tack that onto the CSP charges, which, as I mentioned, was you know three hundred dollars a terabyte roughly, and then seven to eight hundred dollars for the workstation. uh, You can see that that comes out to about fourteen or fifteen hundred dollars a month. Mm -hmm. You then add storage on top of that, and you can see that it is less expensive than a uh, rental uh, of having the gear on prem. But when you start having the storage be uh, exactly the same, the price does get inflated. So I don't think we're at the tipping point now where it's just cut and dry. Hey, it's cheaper to work from home uh, because I think many folks are trying to apply how they work locally to the cloud and it's not an exact translation.
0: But um, those costs aren't, uh, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's expensive, but it's not like Insanely expensive that no one at all can afford it. Um, you know, if you're if you're a big, uh, you know, not just, you know, because I, I don't work in the broadcast world or the feature film world. You know, a lot of big corporate or even even ad agency uh, jobs could afford that kind of thing for a short, short, for a short period of time. So I think that's, you know, I, I think that's that's a, a, hopefully a plus that some people will hear out of this. But but let me ask you this. So let's say you had a, um, you know, I'm in Nashville. Let's take Nashville, for example. You had a client here with a, in a very important job that just popped up. They had decent money to spend. But, you know, it's, it's martial law and everybody has to stay in their homes. You can just send one person out at a time. Is there a way that they could uh you know call bebop or call some uh, you know a similar company and say i have um you know six hundred gigs of media that I need to have three editors working on um I need it now and I've got money to spend on it what did what would what do they do can can
1: that be can that be done currently like tomorrow yeah, kind of and let me say why kind of. Uh, yes. Can we get those three machines talking to same uh, the same shared storage that gives you hundreds of megabytes a second and and whatnot? Yes, that can be done. We can turn that around relatively quickly, uh, usually within a couple of days. The problem is how do you get that 600 gigs up to the cloud? Yes. And that's something that any remote editing system has to deal with. We mm. are dealt a crummy hand here in the U.S. in terms of our throughput. Uh, home connections are even worse we 're strangle held by the uh by the cable companies yep. uh and and unfortunately i I naively thought Scott, believe it or not, I thought that there were places I could go like I thought a w s had a uh storefront in Santa Monica that you could go to and say, Hey, I have a lot of content to upload. Can I plug in and upload i've heard um, rumors of this being a a thing. Uh, and then instead they've pivoted to the whole snowball thing, which is we're gonna send you um, you know, this this rugged uh, chassis of disk and mm-hmm. you're gonna offload to that and then you're gonna go into your AWS console and, and enter this and then you ship it to us, and then we add it, and then it's there. But which that's which which the process.
0: Yes, let me pause that for a second. That involves them shipping the snowball. Snowball being, you know, uh, basically a hard drive. Shipping the snowball to you, you loading all your media on the snowball, then you shipping it back. Even working overnight, you've got a couple three days in there. It's, it's the quickest route um, of shipping back and forth, and then they have to load it onto their server once they get it back. And in, in that point, you could just ship three editors, three three identically uh, named drives. And do it the the drive shipping way you know and, and deal with those those issues um yeah at that in my mind at that point that's what you that would be the better the better option
1: and, and, you know, unfortunately there's there's no slam dunk yeah. right every potential solution is going to have oh but this, oh, but this, mm-hmm. and I think until we can eliminate a majority of those, people are still going to return to on prem workflows yeah I am hopeful that when this uh, virus, uh, uh, I don't say fizzles out, but when we return to a sense of normalcy, uh, and and being separated isn't a, isn't purely a function of of keeping the the virus at bay, that folks will realize that you know we can get better work out of folks if they're in a comfortable environment. Uh, that they can be more creative that we don't have to spend a ton of money on real estate, especially in big metropolitan cities We don't have to have these massive facilities in order to get good work yeah. We can have a distributed workforce to handle this and I'm not talking about outsourcing overseas That's a whole nother discussion uh, But having folks who can work in a distributed way and get content done faster um, I think there's something to that, which is why I'm at Bebop, and I'm hopeful that uh, that that will continue even after the virus subsides. Well, I,
0: absolutely. I mean, you can't outsource now because other countries are affected by the same thing. Uh, but you know, I agree with you. Um, outsourcing is a whole different uh, different different discussion, that's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Let me just again, so we're not like uh, you know, this is not a Bebop ad. Let me ask you, uh, who are who are Bebop's competitors? Who else is doing this kind of thing at the level Bebop is doing it at?
1: That's a great question. Uh, There was a company that uh, was absorbed or purchased by AWS um, two years or so ago. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say what their name is because I don't think I'm supposed to know what their name is. But uh, the company was called Nimble Collective. Uh, AWS uh, uh, bought them, and uh, I think it was more geared towards VFX workflows Mm -hmm. in the cloud. Uh, I think we also had uh, Foundry had something called Athera that was meant for uh, VFX editing in the cloud. Mm -hmm. Uh, Foundry folded that uh, division after I think only 18 months, and that was late last year, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not aware of anyone in the media and entertainment area that does what we do. I hear Uh,
0: Taradici's name pop up a lot. Where do they fit into the mix?
1: Good question. Teradici is the engine, right? Where where Bebop is the automobile, the complete automobile. Teradici is the engine. Oh, okay. Uh, we'd, we when Bebop looked at protocols uh, that would give you your high frame rate, color fidelity, sync, and and whatnot, we examined the entire landscape, and one of the best ones was Teradici. Teradici is uh, military grade encryption, uh, encodes the screen in multiple codecs, so the payload is less. Um, uh, they allow for a server-based architecture to remote into, they have hardware and software solutions, it's proven, uh, it's got sweepy uh, ciphers in terms of security. So we decided that we would build our car to plug into that, The Bebop car to plug into that. I see. The The good thing is, is that uh, we love the protocol and there's a new one out called PC over IP Ultra, but the great thing about the way we've built Bebop is that uh, we're not beholden to it. So if some other awesome protocol came out, uh, we could examine utilizing it and potentially incorporating it into Bebop. So uh, Teradici is is fantastic, and a lot of facilities that have Windows boxes uh, should definitely look into buying packs of licenses, which are very inexpensive, a couple hundred bucks, loading that on your Windows machines, and then having your remote editors run the uh, the client app, uh, and it it gives you a much better... Uh, working environment than a team viewer or uh remote PC app. Gotcha. Gotcha. I was
0: trying to find um, at NAB New York, I was talking to a cloud, uh, not a cloud provider, but a, a, a company that we were talking about this kind of stuff. And they mentioned, uh, and I can't remember the name of the product and I can't find my notes about it. Uh, basically, it was that thing we talked about where your media is in the cloud and you can mount the cloud server on your desktop, just like remote um, storage. And they were thinking, oh, this is great. This is just like having... Cloud media on your on your hard drive, and I can't find the damn name of it. So um, we'll just skip past that
1: because uh, well, with, without saying any names, uh, yes, and in fact, you and I uh, earlier in this conversation talked about a company that is preparing to do just that. the The problem comes into play that uh, it's got to be proxy media. It's got to be yeah. very low res media because you, folks are working with connections, you know, that are uh, sub eighty or ninety megabits a second down to your home system. And so any kind of high res media uh is not gonna play um and and will just cause more problems than yeah. it's worth
0: well you know what this has been a good discussion I think we've kind of started at the bottom of uh of what you could think about as as you know this is not remote editing you can't just you know log into your RAID from another system all the way up to the highest end which is what Bebop is um is working on. I want to coda this with one quick thing. Um uh, did you read the article that, uh, you know, editor Sophie Marshall, she's a feature editor, she's a, a writer, uh, you know, she's a she's a really good workflow expert, she's written yeah. a ton of great stuff on Frame.io, and um, she posted an article the other day about, uh, and I've got it pulled up here, the ultimate real-time remote editing workflow, which is a really great read, but I want to, uh reason to bring this up is because you talk about remote editing, which is editors working with media um, somewhere else, and they're doing the creative cutting. But there's also the remote editing thing where you're an editor working, and you have people who need to sit with you—directors, uh, cl- uh, uh, agency people—you know, those making some ultimate decisions—who need to work with you as well. And her article, and if you Google the ultimate real-time editing workflows, Sophie Marshall, S-O-F-I, you'll find it easily. Um, you can also think about that as you are an editor and you need someone to to uh, look at your cut and help you with the cut and make notes on the cut. Yes, there's Frame.io, there's Collaborate, there's Whipster, there's all those remote, those um, collaboration services. But what she's written up is is a cool workflow of um, of being able to have someone almost in the room with you, uh, watching your cut, and that's its own little remote editing world, different than I think what most people are looking for right now, but. I just want to bring that up because that's a good, it's a really good article. And that's something that, you know, an editor who's working at home, just solely lonely at home, may need to have a director or client to be able to to see what they're working on. And they may not, you know, they may not want to do the review and approval process. They may, may want something more, more than that. I don't know if you've read that article or not, but, um
1: i definitely have and and I, what you're referring to is and here is where i make sure i uh you know i uh, i i show off this is uh synchronous versus asynchronous review and approve Ooh. uh synchronous is I like the, this yeah synchronous is the real time where someone's sitting in back of you and you know they snap their fingers and you grit your teeth and oh or God. they want to come up and they want to grab the mouse that's the real-time feedback uh that has a place in the industry then we have asynchronous review and approve which is Frame.io and Whipster or, you know, YouTube with an unlisted link where you upload something uh, and then you let someone give notes and then it comes back. And that may work when people can't be in the same room at the same time or different time zones or different countries. So they have their place. Synchronous review and approve when it's real time is very latency dependent. Uh, The 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 workflow that Sophie uh, outlined is fantastic. Um, a lot of stuff she's using is interchangeable, right? You don't have to use a black magic presenter. You can use insert, you know, streaming device here. Mm -hmm. Uh, what it comes down to is the, the way the person's doing it on the other end, are they getting a full enough frame rate to make creative decisions? If you're seeing something at 15 frames a second, it's going to be really hard to know when to snap your fingers and tell someone to cut. Uh, and when you have that latency, you're now having things delayed. So when someone says stop, you hit stop, and then as the editor, and then it reflects later in the stream. So yeah. it's difficult. Uh, I like. Uh, there are some solutions that do it real well. Um, High Vision is a is a great company that does something uh, that does that. Uh, we look at things like uh, uh, so uh, Clearview Flex by SohoNet is great. Um, Roger Barton has uh, Evercast, which is probably one of the best solutions I've seen. Uh, Fantastic uh, visual quality, low latency, in-sync audio, uh, bi-directional chat, chat rooms. It's been used on features. It's great. I've heard great things about Evercast. It's a little expensive uh, for, I think, the the running gunners. Uh, I will say that what Sophie has put together is great for the one-stop shop type person. Um, I think it's a little bit of a I don't want to say a rector set, but it does take someone to spend the time and the cost and a troubleshoot. Um, and some folks say, look, I, I don't have time for that. I don't need a I don't want to call it a science experiment, but I don't need a a Frankenstein multi component system. I need an easy to use. That was easy, dumb easy button. Yeah. Uh, and and some and uh, the audience obviously will fall into different camps or in the middle. But there has to be a uh, realization of sh- should I spend? Do I have more time than money or more money than time?
0: Absolutely. And that's what it all you know comes down to: cheap, fast, good, uh, pick two because you can't you can't get it all sometimes. If if, if uh you know what she what she's done there is uh, if you're not a technical person at all. Then you won't be able to set set that up. You it, it will it will not be a fun fun process for you. So then you may need to spend the bucks on something like an Evercast, and that's just you know the reality of the world we live in. What what can you handle financially? What can you handle technically um, to be able to do your creative creative stuff? So that's where we are. All right, man. We're just under an hour. Thank you for taking the time. I know you've uh, been, it's been a busy few days and you'll be in for probably a busy few weeks. Let's uh, stay safe, stay socially distanced, distanced until we get through this um, weird thing going on right now. And, um,
1: yeah, I, I wish you well out there in the crowd L.A. Thank you very much uh, for everyone listening. Just breathe. Just breathe. If you go to the grocery store, don't yell at people. If you have to edit another hour or two because you're dealing with technical hip- hiccups, we're all dealing with this. It's yep. not just you. Take a deep breath. Realize that we're gonna get through this, uh, and 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 just love your fellow person. Uh, and as always, you can track me down online and and ask me tech questions. Good advice. Thank you much. Take care. <laughs>